Podcast, the podcast that helps you level up your RPG. Tabletop, LARP, mush, and everything in between. We're not better gamers than you. We just all have different experiences to share. And maybe we can help you have a better game experience, too. Sorry, yeah. Ryan's being distracted by Carrie's lipstick today. Because the only way to win a role-playing game is to <laughs> have, have fun. fun. <laughs> I'm Ryan the curmudgeon. <laughs> Joining me, as always, is Carrie the legend. Who is lipstick because I'm allowed to. And I Jason, didn't say you weren't. I said that Ryan was distracted by it. Probably in a good way. Mm-hmm. And Jason, the favorite. Yes. I'm not distracted by Carrie's lipstick. Mm-hmm. So, um... Ryan, the real question is, what's going on over there? I don't know. What's going on over here? <laughs> Nothing. <I'm laughs> oh, my gosh. Wow. Oh, no. So the new theme song is good. I like it. Cool. Yeah. Good. I live to please you. Uh, Somebody should. <laughs> well, let's uh, uh, remind folks real quick. We have a Patreon. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. You can find us at patreon.com slash podcast. And if you back us at certain levels, you can receive free stuff like uh, postcards, prints, a book, uh, or shout outs on the podcast. Ah! And if, you get, if you get shout outs, you can also at some levels even get, uh, you know, we'll, we'll have your favorite character call in and, and we'll roast them over the phone. So it's super exciting. So who do we have? Oh, we have tons of people. Yay! Yay! <clears throat> so do you want me to just go down the list yeah, of, just tell of our important people? Yes. Okay, we've got Cameron. Cameron. We love you, Cameron Pruitt. And we've got Drew. Oh, uh, we love you, Drew Stevens. <laughs> we have Joel. Hi, Joel. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. It's like being set up for a joke. <laughs> we've got Josh Heath. Yay, Josh. And we've got Lost Colonies. Yes, yes. excellent, excellent. Noah Coltrip. Ooh. Ooh. He doesn't tell us about his life anymore. I know, it's kind of sad. That son of a bitch. I, oh, okay. We have strong feelings about Noah. Do we have strong feelings? I'd have feel- to know what's going on in his life, okay. or I'm just riddled with anxiety. Well, we've got Ryan Martin, who's been posting lots of food pictures. Mm, yes, that's food. his deal. Yeah, yeah I think he made He's Cheesy, little, but a great cook. I think he made cheesy corn the other day, and it made cheesy. me hungry. Cheesy corn? Yeah. Oh, oh you ever had cheesy corn? I don't know that cheesy I Cheesy corn's awesome. Holy shit, it's amazing. Yeah. Oh, well, okay. <laughs> it shouldn't be. It sounds gross. It does yeah, sound yeah. gross. But it's like some cheese grits and shrimp out of this world. It's perhaps the best dish. I, don't, I do not believe you. No, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> You're right, no. We've got Salim. Okay. And then we've got Sarah. <laughs> That's you, dude. And, <laughs> and Billy Bob Thornton. <laughs> At the $20 level, he gets a free hug. Aww, that's wonderful. That's and all it, you. And a scout massage. <laughs> all right, well, when last we left our intrepid adventurers, we were right here at this table recording a podcast. Mm-hmm. So, Jason, tell, tell us what's new. You're going first this time because last time was so depressing. Right. Uh, okay, so uh, I just thought of something. Depressing? No, no, no. <laughs> oh, goodness. Billy Bob Thornton is redneck John Malkovich. Kind of, yeah. Yeah, it's bothered me now. I, I'd never seen it before. <laughs> well, okay. So that's yeah. what's going on with Jason. Anything else to do? <laughs> now, that's most of it. Okay. <laughs> right now. 
I joined the pinball museum in town. Oh, joined it. Yeah, I got a membership. I can go there whenever I want. Now is that expensive? A little. Do you still have to put your quarter put quarters in? No, no, there's no quarters. All they're all free plays. You pay normally you pay fifteen dollars, and then you just play till you play till you, and then you can come in and out. Uh, but Scott, for his like big thing this year, because we you know when we get our taxes back, we try to do right. something for each of us. His big thing is he wanted us to get the 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 like the two person membership to the pinball museum. So whenever we come up to Chattanooga, we'll go play for a while. That's cool. That is fun. And it's open all the time. Can I ask you a weird question about that? Sure. So if it's a museum, like normally, no, it's not sexual. Mm. Normally at a museum. Well, hopefully not. not, At a museum, you're not allowed to touch the artwork. Okay. So uh, like a museum, each one of the pinball machines has a placard that details uh, why this one is special. Okay. And uh, usually we'll have an original advertisement, not it's interesting because they're all advertisements that, like, Bailey or uh, what's the other kind of big companies? Anyway. Midway. Midway. They, it's not an advertisement f- to the people that might play it. It's okay. the advertisement that was in the catalog. To get the arcades to buy it? To get the arcades or bars or whatever to buy well, it. that's fun. And they have a, a ton of, like, uh, books. Well, I wouldn't say a ton. They have several books about pinball history, and they've got a couple of TVs that are spinning Facts constantly about pinball okay. machines, so, but, and but they let you. They play, also sell beer. They let you play the museum. Pieces. Absolutely. How well, weird. Well, and they've got it. Some of them are extremely old too, and they still let you play them. Absolutely. I'd be worried that like kids would just beat the heck out of them. Well, it is a pinball machine. That's that is his purpose. <laughs> yeah. Weird. Yeah, and well, they fix them constantly because you you can tell because they are. The ones that are working is constantly switching. They, <laughs> about 5%, I would say, which it averages out to 2 or 3, are broke at any given time, right. especially the older ones. But it's all the same stuff. It's yeah. springs and Pinball machines and, were high maintenance, though. Yeah, they've always been mm-hmm. high maintenance, and yeah. I, that just hasn't changed. Yeah. Uh, I, I love the idea that you can touch a piece of history. Oh, it's definitely. I know. That's why I go to the Louvre. Okay. Oh my gosh. So what have you been up to? Kate? Wait, wait, oh, wait. Tell you about there's gotta... one. There's one thing there that you really got to see eventually. Okay. They've got a, a machine called the Goliath, mm-hmm. and it's one play per day. You can't play it over and over again because its pieces are not normal pieces. The thing, what would you say the standard pinball machine is across? Like a two feet, maybe foot yeah, and a half, maybe. something like that. Yeah. Like okay. Two by. It's maybe two by four and a half. Right. This is almost four feet across. My wife, Marty, she's short, five foot. She can barely touch both of the uh, flipper buttons. So have fun. <laughs> and it uses a ball about the size. Well, you know what? You know those big novelty die 20s mm-hmm. the, the, that came out like in the mm-hmm. 90s? Yeah. Yeah. That's how big the ball is. Wow. It's easily, oh man, it's inch and a half across, something like that. That's fun. It's giant. But because the pieces are all so big and the ball's so big that you can't just play it over and over and over again. You will wear it out. Yeah. Wow. Anyway. So right. carry. But is it a good pinball game? It's fun. It's more a novelty because everything's so big. Sure. Yeah. Sure. The ball moves slow. <laughs> right. Because right. it's yeah. it's yeah. funny. Okay. What have you been up to, Carrie? Just art. Okay. That's okay. It's just so much art. Yeah. yeah. Yep. I fi- I finished two logos mm-hmm. this past cool. week, and I'm working on a new oil painting. What is what is the process for a logo look like? I'm always fascinated um, by that sort of thing. Well, I try to get info from them up front. So and it's I always know, a fight. You know, yeah, it's very much a fight. You know, you need to know the um, the shape of the logo, and then you have to figure out if they want words in the logo or not, or if they you know, what the concept is. Mm-hmm. And then there's a lot of back and forth of mm-hmm. me sending photos 
something like this or that. Yeah. Yeah. Sketches, you know, it's something like this or this. And then they kind of start directing me. And cause since I don't charge a super ton for logos, um, I don't go back and forth for weeks and weeks on it because that's what they get. Right. If they want if they want to go back and forth more than that, they can pay me more. If they want a hundred dollar logo. That's what they get. Yes. If they want a thousand dollar logo. Oh, that yeah. That would be amazing, and everybody should do that. And I will. I will go back and forth with them as long as they want. I want to say that character art you were posting the other day looked really cool. Thank you. I appreciate the, the, it. The ink. Stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's awesome. That's crazy. Yeah. Cool. Good times. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ryan, you Ryan. I, you know what? Other I, than missing Disney World and filling an emptiness in your life, what I, have you been doing? Very little because I'm still recovering from that cold. Yeah, mm-hmm. I understand that. It's what? been awful. This so. this season, I, I I forget the numbers, but it's like twice the number of cases of the flu is normal. Yeah. And I, did you have the actual flu? No, or it was just a chest cold, a virus, but it was rough. So much sickness this year. It Probably because the weather's been so back and forth. And I know everybody says colds don't give you a cold. But if it's 50 today and 25 <laughs> the previous day right. and you were soaking wet, then I, I have a hard time believing that doesn't reduce your immune system So this way. won't make a ton of sense to people who are outside of the Chattanooga, Cleveland, Tennessee area. But uh, I saw a meme... <laughs> yesterday that was very funny that it said this week's weather and the first picture was like super sunny with a bunch of people in shorts and it's absolutely true and it said monday and then the second picture (laughs) was like uh cars underneath water and all this flooding yes it said wednesday (laughs) and then there's a picture of like a blizzard and it said friday and it was like yeah that really is what happened we really did have all three of those like i was telling carrie there was a portion of the interstate that was closed Wow. Because there had been so many wrecks there that they couldn't get them cleaned up fast enough. They just started pulling people off and direct them around. From the snow or the From the snow. The flooding, there was people having to get their cars towed out of water that did not look deep but was actually very deep. Yeah, Yeah. that's crazy. Yeah. So be careful out there. Good times. All right. Well, let's let's go to combat rounds. Okay. Cool. And today we have an exciting show. We are joined by James Davey and Jim Beverly, who are the creators of a new tabletop role-playing game called Midnight World, and we're super excited to have them. Hello, folks. Hey, what's up, man? Hello. Yay! Why don't y'all take a moment and introduce yourselves to our listeners? Oh, okay. Uh, I'm James Davey. Uh, I have been uh, playing tabletop RPGs since I was about nine years old. I uh, started with D&D, of course, and moved all around. Um, I've been playing a lot of World of Darkness, uh, a lot of heroes, champions, mutants, and masterminds, pretty much everything that you can think of. Um, uh, I also was the president of Underground Theater, which was one of the um, large World of Darkness fan clubs for two, three, some years, a number of years that I can't recall. Are you blocking them out? Yeah, at least the last couple, yeah. <laughs> uh, we always ask, what What was the very first role-playing game you ever played? very first role-playing game I ever played was AD&D. Ooh, <laughs> it's the advanced version. Yeah. <laughs> we also always make that It was advanced. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> All right. And what's your favorite? Midnight I mean, World. The Midnight World, obviously, but if you mean uh, my favorite that I didn't write... Uh, <laughs> I think that 
I'm going to take a lot of flack here, but uh, Changeling the Lost, uh, the, the second edition Changeling, or the second story in Changeling of the New World of Darkness hmm. has, has always been my favorite setting. Interesting. I've heard extremely good things about it, and I've played the tabletop some, and I've played the live action some, and they're both very good. Yeah. 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 Awesome. Jim, what about you? Tell us about yourself. So, I got into tabletop role-playing games after playing the very first Baldur's Gate uh, video game. Oh, it's a badass game. It's uh, it's what got me... I mean, I had known about Dungeons & Dragons. I had been interested in Dungeons & Dragons, but it was the first real uh, access I had to the genre. And once I started playing it, I, I, I started enjoying it, and then I found a group of guys in my high school that were playing AD&D at the time. So my, my first... Uh, actual tabletop game was also a and uh, and then it just kind of exploded from there. I started get it, it seems like my gateway into tabletop games is almost always a video game adaptation of it. <laughs> uh, Vampire the Masquerade Redemption is what got me into Vampire the Masquerade <laughs> tabletop, uh, and it seems to have followed that <laughs> that trend every time I discover a new game. <laughs> and what what's your favorite? Uh, if I had to choose a favorite. It's really difficult to do because the nature of what I do makes me play so many different ones. Um, probably, honestly, Mutants and Masterminds, I'd have to say. Mm. There's a lot of math in that game. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the, the detriment of it for me, but yeah. there's just so much about the rest of it that I love that I, I just, you know, I... I'm able to kind of <laughs> suppress <laughs> the math parts. Sure, sure. Well, can you guys... What video game are you playing now that's going to lead you into a new role-playing game? Okay, uh, I did just start playing a lot of uh, 40K games. Oh, okay. Uh, 40K so um, much. <laughs> and, so it's, and also like Total War, Warhammer, and Vermintide. I've been getting into the Warhammer universe, and I just recently picked up the... Um, the book for Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay, and <laughs> I'm waiting for Cubicle 7 to re-release the Wrath and Glory core rulebook for the 40K roleplay. All right. Awesome. Uh, so tell us about the Midnight World. Give us the elevator pitch. I know nothing about your game. What's the Midnight World? It's a scary game where you get... <laughs> You're doing great. <laughs> you get superpowers <laughs> at some point, and you are... Holding off the inevitable doom that comes for us all. <laughs> <laughs> what we kind of wrote before was the Midnight World is a uh, horror tabletop RPG set in a make-believe world meant to investigate the real effects of trauma on mental health. Safely go. explore actual symptoms with a system designed to let you put the monsters back in the box at the end of the game. That's that's ex- strong. That's really good. Yeah. I like that a lot. Hey, you should keep that. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll take your advice and yep. then the advice of the 17 other people you're like no it's, it's, it's I, sometimes it, if I had one piece of advice for other starting independent game developers is advice is great but if you ask in a public forum expect that you're going to get a yeah. hundred different responses and you're just going to be like I, I don't know I don't know what's the right answer I, I you know, know we're closer one of the things you, you know I mean we've, we've talked uh, outside of this this interview, you guys know I'm also working on uh, a tabletop game, and that is the one of the things that we learned early on too was like 
the whole idea of like crowdsourcing and and like you can't design a game by committee. And yes. and when I look at when I look at other things, it's like no wonder the no wonder the by night studios books are such a mess. Like you just you can't design <laughs> that way. <laughs> I, I have I have found that what what I what Jim and I have done is we have set up we, we've got a setup where we are listening to our primarily playtesters and we're listening to people uh, who have you know who have a vested interest in seeing this game succeed when they offer this us this advice but what we are also keeping in mind is at the end of the day we are the developers of the game and we do want to hear the advice and we've used advice actually uh, uh, there there are a couple of people who will get credit. Um, on our credits page as uh, providing additional mechanics because they were playtesters who were like, hey, this is how I think this should work. But at the same time, at the end of the day, we, we are the ones who have to take ultimate responsibility for it because it's going to be our names that are right there as the authors of the book. Or, or the, the idea that it would become the Midnight World uh, spawned from a game that I ran for a group, uh, gosh, four years ago. Uh, we were running World of Darkness 2.0. It was going to be a Mortals game that was going to lead into a Hunter the Vigil game. And, and it did. And, and it ended up running for, oh, I want to say two years. Uh, but one of the things that I struggled with, and this is, Jim was still in the Army, uh, one of the things that, that somehow he and I both failed to mention is that we are combat veterans um, with, <laughs> with PTSD. Um, and one of the things that this this game, you know, Jim was still in the army at the time. We knew that he was getting out. He was making his tentative plans to move to Atlanta, um, where I live. And but I, I kept running into this problem in, in this World of Darkness game, where what I really wanted to tell the story, I really wanted to tell the people at the table with me was what it is like on a daily basis to live with trauma. Uh, you know, I, I, one of the things that I told them about their characters when they first developed their characters. Every single one of your characters has to have had a thing that happened to you when you were a kid or, or when you were a teenager or something where there was a this severe, traumatic, supernatural moment that they've never been able to get past. Because I wanted them to, I wanted to introduce to them what it is like every day to live with the ghost of a trauma. And I wanted it to be something supernatural, nothing nothing that would really actually hurt them, but that they could put in a box at the end of the game and put back on the shelf. And so that game went to its, uh, to, to its end point. We finished that game, and I was working on developing a second version of that game when Jim finally did move to Atlanta. And he and I were sitting down at a table, and we were trying to say, well, how do, within the framework of the World of Darkness 2.0's dice mechanic, how do we how do we emulate what it is like the cycle of anxiety I am anxious and that means that I am more likely to fail at things and the more I fail at things the more anxious that makes me how do we showcase that as the central theme of a game and Jim kind of got this bolt from the blue and we realized uh, as we started developing more and more mechanics around that bolt that the World of Darkness framework wouldn't work for it anymore. It had to be its own thing. Um, and so we've spent the last uh, two and a half years developing this thing. So the, the two things that we really wanted to focus on was, like he said, uh, illustrating the cycle of anxiety, but also kind of 
mitigating this phenomena that happens in role-playing games where if you have two characters and one of them is an award-winning concert pianist who's clumsy and the other one is a thief who's really nimble and they both have, you know, one has four dexterity and no performance and the other one has one dexterity and three performance, then they have an equal chance to play a concerto. And we we didn't like that. We wanted to find out, you know, how do we how do we mix that up a little bit? So we came up with the idea of weighing dice differently, where skill dice have a lower weight, or I'm sorry, skill dice have a greater weight than attribute dice. Uh, so that was that was the first thing that we kind of landed on, and then uh, we re- we realized the best form to represent that cycle of anxiety was the clock. So that's where the clock mechanic came from. So detail those um, mechanics for us. So the way the clock works is there there are 12 sections of the clock in three tiers. So there's seconds, minutes, and hours. And for sake of simplicity, for, for game mechanics, there's only 12 of each. There's not like 60 minutes, 60 seconds. Um, and the way it works is when you when you apply effort, you your, your seconds tick up. And those can buy you temporary effects and buffs and bonuses and stuff like that. Uh, and whenever your your second hand makes a full revolution back to 12, your minute hand goes up. And whenever you are exposed to a trauma or something like that, uh, your minute hand goes up, and that's that's your dread. And when for every two minutes that it goes up, you get what's called a distress dice, which is a D4. And because all of the the target numbers are at least five, a D4 cannot possibly win a challenge, but a one on a D4 can subtract a success on your other dice. So as you get closer and closer to 12 in the minutes, you get more and more of these distress dice up to a maximum of five, and it, it does that cascading, you know, failure that he was mentioning earlier. And that's where we start to get into the the effects of how anxiety works in our game, because one of the things that every play test that we've played so far is that at the very beginning, especially with a new group of players, they'll say, this game is too easy because we all also have a, we have a, <laughs> right. We have a, a conceit in our game. We think that the most boring thing that could happen is that your character who is supposed to be really good at something could fail it. So if you are a, you know, going back to the concert pianist, if you're a concert pianist, it seems really bizarre to us that in in a in a perfect world where you've had a night's sleep and you're not stressed out, that you could possibly fail at that task. So in our game, you don't even have to roll a hit to succeed at what you're trying to do, uh, as long as you don't have ones on those d4s, you're fine. Um, you know, we have tiers of success. So you could have a complicated success where you rolled no hits at all, um, but you still did the thing you were trying to do. And maybe when you stood up, you slipped and uh, dropped the piano lid on your hand or something like that, all the way up to a, a critical success. But once those D4s start to come in, one D4 is no big deal. When you get up to about four of those suckers... People are like, I'm afraid to walk across the street. If I walk across the street, I could fall through a manhole and die <laughs> because I had these these D4s are killing me. Um, and we have different um, ways to mitigate the D4s, um, but one of the things that was very important to us was to be able to, like, 
most games that we've played deal with mental health in this in this way. Like in Call of Cthulhu, you have a certain amount of sanity. When you're done with that sanity, when you when you hit zero, your character is quote insane and can't be played anymore. Well, what does that mean? Who knows? It doesn't matter. In White Wolf, um, the the derangements are these almost commodified things um, that can either be completely ignored if you've ever seen a Malkavian with 17 of them who just doesn't play them, um, or they can be completely crippling to your character. Uh, so what we wanted to do is we wanted to boil those mental health effects down into something that have a mechanical effect that does get worse over time unless you do something about it, but that also isn't the defining characteristic of what your character is. So uh, if my character has a, an anxiety problem, they they accumulate those D4s more rapidly, but they can do stuff about that. That's not like, you know, my character's not only that. We wanted to make the symptoms of mental health disorders just that. They're symptoms, they can be mitigated, they can be dealt with, they, they are not everything that there is about your character. Because as people who struggle with mental health ourselves, we just felt like we wanted a game that more accurately represented what it's like to have those problems. Yep. So how does this uh, weighting work on the attributes versus the skills? We use, instead of using D10s across the board, like White Wolf does, we have, our, our system is going to be very familiar to people who have played White Wolf or Shadowrun or any other game where dots equal dice. Right. In our it's game, a, dots equal dice. It's an attribute skill system. Yeah. Um, those six attributes are always going to be D6s when you roll. And, you know, if you're trying to lift something and you're not an athlete and you don't have athletics, you can still roll just those D6s. And hey, if you've got no distress dice, if your minute hand is at one, you're probably going to be fine. Um, but you only have a third, you know, a, a, a 33% chance of hitting on a D6 because, you know, fives or sixes hit. Um, skills are D8s. So the things that you've trained at, you have a much higher chance of hitting on. Um, and there are certain powers that will come later in the game. Like when you first start the game, it's a very, it's almost Call of Cthulhu-ish. You, you don't have these massive powers, but you can get them later. Um, and there are powers that will do things like upgrade certain things. Certain D6s will upgrade to D8s because you're doing it for this role. Or you can, can cause other people to downgrade their D8s to D6s and stuff like that. What kind of dice pool? And by dice pool, I mean your literal dice. Do you need to play this? Because I've heard three different uh, D4, yeah. D6, D8. So, yeah, so for yeah, the, the minimum that you would need to play the game is D6s, D8s, and D4s. Mm -hmm. But we also recommend having D12s because it's easier to count the 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 clock. Mm. Oh, use a D12. Yeah, we've a lot of different uh, things for the clock, but one of the things that we have been most successful with is since they're all 12s, you just have three D12 and of different colors, and you set them at what your hours, minutes, and seconds are. So you're almost yeah. just using them like a spin down D20 for magic, exactly. tracking yeah, life. Absolutely. Okay. Okay. And this number is going to fluctuate back and forth during play. Correct? Is that the way I'm hearing? Correct. It? Okay. Correct. Now, like I said, you you can there there can be moments where. Uh, for instance, I have a this this power on my sheet that allows me to upgrade this specific role and roll all of my uh, 
dice is d8s on this roll, but it's not going to go out of those three dice. It's, it's always going to be d4s, d6s, and d8s. Okay. Yep. Tell us a little bit about the universe. So one of the things that we were really uh, – uh, that one of our, I guess, design philosophies was when we came up with this is we wanted these mechanics to be able to be picked up and implanted into any genre or any story that people wanted to play. So we, we when we came up with the, the mechanics, uh, we wanted it to be kind of genre agnostic. But then we decided, you know, that, that as we expanded on that, we just with the stories and stuff that we would come up with for playtesting and the influences that we've had and all that stuff, we were like, let's have, let's have a, a, a canon, you know, like a, our own canon that we can expand on and build on. And, and why not both? One of the things that we, we've, we all, I think love about uh, world of darkness is it's incredibly rich, deep lore. Um, one of the things I think we all also hate about world of darkness is that it is impossible to free yourself from that lore. We wanted to have a sort of a loose lore. And what we've done with the Midnight World is um, all the way back at the beginning of creation, when when the universe burst into being, um, one, you know, when the Big Bang occurred, it didn't birth one universe. It birthed an infinite number of them. It, it birthed the multiverse. Reality is such a difficult thing, and every little domino has to be exactly right for reality to work. So of those, that infinite number of universes that were born, most of them did not fully come into fruition. Most of them died on the vine and are just these, what we call corpse universes, spinning somewhere out there, stuck between reality and non-reality. They're... They're there in a metaphysical sense, but they're not there in a way where you could reach out and touch them. Uh, the powers that be, we, we don't actually describe in our book what the powers that be are. You know, is there a God or what have you? We don't really talk about that. But whatever caused that initial uh, inception of reality placed this thing around all of the living universes called a Twilight Veil. Basically, it's a filter that stops things from coming across between reality and potentiality. So the, the corpse universes have things that live in them, but they're blocked from entering reality by this thing called the Twilight Veil. For whatever reason, in the Midnight World, that, that veil was damaged. So these things can't really come all the way across, but they can send portions of themselves across. And what we call these, these basically gods of their own universes, we call them dread beings. And the best way that I've been able to describe what we conceptualize dread beings to be, uh, when you think of Nightmare on Elm Street, don't think of Freddy Krueger. Think of the Dream Masters, the things that created him and sent him into this world. Those are the dread beings. Uh, and we have several of them in the book uh, that we talk about specifically. Um, we also have a way, uh, you know, a basic guide on how to create your own if you were coming up with something for your own universe. Um, but basically what we tell people in the book is we're going to lay out a lore for you here. This is what happened in 1458 uh, in the Midnight World. This is what happened during World War II. However, if you want to tell a story with our game but you don't want to use any of that lore, it's super easy. All you have to do is say – there's an infinite number of Midnight Worlds, too, because this is a multiverse. So we're using a different version of the multiverse to tell our story where none of the stuff in the book happened. So that's kind of our basic idea of how lore works. All right. Yeah, that sounds cool. 
Uh, so in a basic game, how does it work? Are you playing like a Mulder and Scully investigating weird things that are going on, or is it... So, the, that's actually something that, that James came up with that I think is really cool. Um, we every, every player character in the game is part of a group called The Touched, and one of the things that you do when you create your character is you generate a memory. And there's there's a chart that you can roll on with a d20. So, I, yeah, I guess you would need a d20 to make a character uh, if we're going back to the dice discussion. But um, if, if you want to do it that way. Yeah, it's, it's optional. It's, it's something that we provide, but it's not mandatory. Um, but it's you, you, roll, you generate this memory, and then that generates your stats and your vocation and all this stuff. Uh, or you can just go through and pick it, or you can make up your own. But, but it's... Regardless of how you generate it, your character has to have this memory. All right. And that that memory is the very first time that your character ever encountered the supernatural. And it's what set them on the path to becoming one of the touched. And um, that 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 is the background of all characters in the game. So your, your character could be a paranormal investigator that was motivated to start looking at, motivated to start looking into these things because of that memory or it could just be joe from accounting who you know saw a horrible shadow creature on a company retreat five years ago uh and it it, it stuck with him and he never really got over it uh and then he gets thrust in back into the world of the supernatural you know as as your story continues but the the one thing that ties all player characters together is is that memory of that first time that they encountered the supernatural. In in the midnight world, uh, most people have never had an experience like this. Most people are just living day to day, just like we are here. With with you know, they may have thought they saw a ghost at one point, but nothing that truly traumatized them. The touched, though, are people who did. And like Jim says, we are very, very proud of this. Uh, We do have an actual play up where you can go, and we spent a good amount of time on that actual play showing how character creation works. Generally speaking, writing your memory down takes longer during character creation than anything else. Character creation can really be done in about three to five minutes. Um, and when you're done in three to five minutes, you have not only a fully statted out sheet, but you have a memory of the thing that your character experienced. Uh, and they, what we did to develop this is we sat down and we got a whole bunch of people to tell that thing, that scary thing that they thought happened to them when they were teenagers. And we just broke those blocks down and so you may have something like you know when I was a teenager I was walking through the woods alone at night and I looked over and there was a werewolf in the woods and I ran from it and and, and like you have this whole complete memory of the thing that is your trauma Um, and for whatever reason when a party comes together it's because it's it's all back again and kind of kind of the way that we deal with that is that the touch once one of these dread beings has gotten its hooks into you it's always trying to get you again so the touched are 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 likely to congregate with each other even if they don't realize it because the dread beings are sort of pushing groups together to utilize for their own ends so you know in in the the module that comes with the book it's a group of people who are driving back from a football game in a local town together but these guys, everybody in this vehicle, have come together over the years because they've been pushed together and they're all touched. Um, so some of them are investigators. Some of them are people who are like, holy crap, I was really hoping this would never happen to me again. 
All right, so I'd like to to clarify something because I know this because I saw the actual character creation happen. Um, player characters do not have to share the same trauma, though, right? No, no, they okay. don't. No. One of the things I wanted to take a second to discuss is that we we are very very conscientious of the potential pitfalls of the, of our game. Uh, and we do a lot of work in the book to mitigate that. One of the things that we do is we recommend that characters all get created at the same time together. We recommend a session zero where even though your characters may have never met before, basically if uh, uh, you know if I'm sitting at the table with you, Carrie, and it turns out that my character's trauma trigger, the thing that pushes me to the point where I'm about to break, is actually something that bothers you in real life. Right. I want you to be able to hear that during character creation so that you can say, hey, James, would you do me a favor and re-roll that so that that doesn't come up? Fair. Um, so mm-hmm. we recommend that everybody at the table kind of do their character creation together, hear each other's memories, basically develop the game and just trust each each other to to not purposely step because like i said you know me and jim are actual ptsd sufferers we have legitimate trauma triggers in real life uh, and we do have an aside in our book about the usage of the term trigger it's not a funny term to us we don't think it's cute it's real for us um and so when when two players at the table have an opportunity to say, hey, listen, uh, at Midwinter, we had a player who came in who was also a combat veteran who had been wounded in combat. And when he rolled his character up, he rolled up, you know, a thing that had really happened to him in real life. And he was like, you know what? Um, I don't want that. Cool, man. We're going to we're going to push it to something else. Uh, and we do kind of recommend that people at the table don't all have the same sort of initial memory, but I don't know. We've never tried to play a game where everybody was there at the same time. That sounds kind of cool too. Mm, okay. Huh? Can you speak a little bit to, to what it's like to be building a game that is directly dealing with uh, sort of cultural hot button things right now, like social with social justice and triggers and all of those things. Uh, it is a very, it is a time that I think it's very brave to dive headfirst into a game. That's going to, have a lot of those things in it. Um, so I'll, I'll answer that with with two two statements. One is I think that means it's the most important time to come out with a game like this uh, because we want awareness out there. We want we want people to be aware that this is something that people go through. We want something that that. I don't want to say normalizes it, but, but, you know, that lets people know that this is a real thing that people face and, and people experience and it doesn't make them any worse or less than anyone else. And, and, and in fact, they are just as capable of being, you know, successful and, and heroic and, and in spite of, of these challenges that they might face. Uh, and second, that's why we, we are trying so hard to, you know, get in front of that and, and put it in the book and, and, and announce it and say, this is our intent. This is our intent is, is to empower people that have these challenges and, and to give them a resource to, to find some sort of escapism and enjoyment and healing in spite of the fact that they are told by greater society that they are broken. Yeah. I mean, and uh, he had, he had a lot of, 
uh, on the head. The other thing that I would say uh, is there's a twofold answer. And the first is as a sufferer of PTSD, the reason that I wanted to make this game is because I have a family full of people who don't have PTSD. And even though they struggle with their own things that I don't necessarily struggle with, we definitely, especially coming back from war and and trying to reintegrate into society, it was very difficult, really impossible for me to explain to them, look, this is what it is like to feel this way. Um, So when we started developing this game, part of the reason that we felt like we had to was because we realized that, you know, that, that anxiety loop that I explained to you earlier, there are people who don't know what that feels like. And this game allows me, a, a person who has that every day of my life, to sit down and safely show my uh, spouse what it's like to feel this way. And at the end of the day, I can say, cool, now put your character sheet in a folder, put the folder in the file cabinet, and that's it. You get to go back to normal life having a little bit of a greater insight about what it's like to be me. And I'll tell you that we, we definitely are – we're trying to handle as many symptoms um, as we can that way. And we are working directly with people who have those symptoms to make sure that we are being respectful. And, you know, I'm going to let everybody know right off the top. This is the first edition. There are two writers and, uh, well, we have three. We have a freelance writer, but it's primarily just me and Jim writing it. And we have an editor. So we're not going to, we're not going to hit a home run on everything. Uh, But one of the things that we're very clear about throughout the book is that none of this should ever be seen as funny. None of this should ever be seen as uh, a joke. This is all very deadly serious. And if we didn't get it right, if you don't feel, for instance, uh, you know, anhedonia is one of our challenges. If you see that I have anhedonia all the time and I don't really feel like this is how it feels, there's a better way to portray this cool, man. I mean, second edition is definitely going to be a thing. So let us know and and we'll do our best to incorporate. But we really are working with people uh, to ensure that we are as conscientious as possible about using terms like triggered and we use them psychologically correctly. We don't just say trigger. We say there's a trauma trigger and there are solace triggers. Solace triggers are the things that make you feel calm. Trauma triggers are the things that make you anxious. Um, And I I feel like a lot of the overreaction or the perceived overreaction to stuff like this is – I don't want to say that it's a myth, but I feel like a lot of – I feel like a lot of the time when people knee-jerk react to something like what we're doing, they have – valid reasons for reacting that way. It is usually because when they've seen a game include the word triggered, it has been in a very disrespectful way. So that's like Jim said, that's why we're trying to get out ahead of that and say, listen, we, we thought about using a different word, but that would be wrong. That would be incorrect. The word triggered in a psychological context means a certain thing to those of us who've been dealing with PTSD for 15 years. Uh, and we're not allowing it to be taken away by trolls. This is what it means. This is how we're using it. And we have a whole section in our book that says, hey, if you're going to use this term in a funny way, oh, ho, ho, aren't you triggered? Then you can go ahead and put this book down. Don't buy it. Walk away and never buy anything from our company. 
and because that's not that's not okay to us. I'd like to note something real quick just for our listeners, because James, you haven't actually said it, but I think it's important to note that not only uh, do you have PTSD from your time uh, as a combat veteran, but you also are uh, have a career in medicine. So there is a yeah. me- an actual medical background in your life as well that is helping to contribute to to handling this the way that you are. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, for man. both of us, I, I, I was medical in the Army for 12 years, too. Okay. Wow. Okay. Super. Yeah. I'd like to say that one of the interesting things from hearing you describe this is that uh, people talk a lot about representation and how important it is to get that right, and but you very rarely see mental... Uh, issues dealt with in a representative way. It's always over the top or it's meant to be scary or funny, but this is somebody who's trying to really delve into what it's actually like, and that's pretty cool. Yeah, I imagine that it probably makes people feel less alone. Absolutely. If, uh, if you feel like that, hey, there's two guys who felt so strongly about this that they wrote an entire role-playing game based on the kinds of things I'm going through, I can't see how it wouldn't help. Yeah. That actually leads me to another question. One of the things that you talked about off the air, and and I've heard you talk about on Facebook several times, is that you want this book to be a a tool for therapy, potentially. What does that look like? Uh, So actually, interestingly enough, just within the last day or two, I've I've, uh, seen some reports popping up about how a lot of mental health providers are using Dungeons & Dragons as a therapeutic device. It's, it's It's a... a way of using escapism and and kind of like fantasy to interpose yourself into a different set of shoes and experience things that would normally be threatening or anxiety-inducing or things like that, but doing it in a way where you're in a safe environment with people that you trust and you know in in a in a setting where if you need to hit the off switch, you can hit the off switch and. I think that's what we're hoping for. We're hoping that that because D and D, none of us are a half orc wizard. You know, none of us are a gnome rogue or you know anything like that. But we could very easily be a veteran with PTSD, and and it 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 bridges that gap a little bit and adds a little bit more more verisimilitude to to this character that you're inhabiting. Uh, and, and being able to, to experience these unreal things just a step closer to reality is, is what I think help, can help people work through this trauma and these feelings and this, these anxieties that they have. Uh, and and I'm, I'm not a behavioral health professional. I'm not – you know, I, I was pharmacy for 12 years. I, I, I don't know if, if there is sufficient science that supports it. But I know what's worked for me, and I know the times that I've played this game, you know, playtesting and stuff like that, and even the times I've played other role-playing games with these same principles, it has been very beneficial to me to kind of explore those things about myself while knowing that there's not going to be any real consequence for exploring those things. And uh, that's that's what I hope it looks like. That's That's what I'm, you know... At the at the end of the day, we're just trying to make a fun role playing game that people can play. But if if in the process of doing that, we're able to help one person make a little bit of peace with who they are, then it'll all have been worth it in my eyes. 
Yeah, I, I think uh, one of the things that I have actually, I, I can tell you in, in actuality, I have used this system therapeutically. Uh, and what I have done is I have used it uh, with a friend to have that friend sort of show me, it, again, in a very safe uh, in a safe environment where it's just a game, kind of what it's like to be them. Um, and, and again, you know, it's, I don't mean to be flippant at all about that. You know, it's, it's obviously not even a really close approximation to, to the person's real struggles, but it gives me a little bit of insight into what it is like to have a symptom that I personally don't experience. Um, and what are the sort of struggles that, that that person has daily? And with with that understanding in place, uh, I have been a lot more conscientious about the way that I've approached that person um, about certain issues that beforehand I never would have even really thought about. I, I would have because I don't experience those things, and not I mean, not saying that I was was blasting past them before, but I, I didn't have a concrete understanding of what it was like. And so our hope is that, you know, like Jim said, our primary hope is that you you play our game and you have a good time because in the end it is just a game about people fighting monsters and the horror of being at the dark in a abandoned hospital. You know, it's, it's, it's (laughs) a game, but there is that, that undercurrent that we, we, we did not want the psychological, aspects to take complete center stage because we we want this to be a fun thing that is appealing to everybody we we've talked a lot about the the psychological side of this and the the psychological sort of mechanics and things like that uh let's talk about the other side of it then because you mentioned this idea of of wanting that those mechanics to be very strong and a large part of your game uh, can you talk a little bit about about keeping the balance though of of playing with those sort of heavy mechanics uh, and and not having your game b- just be those mechanics, because you've also got a game of supernatural horror that you've built here. Uh, so how do you balance? How do you balance that? Let's talk about the supernatural horror side. Okay. Um, so one of the things that we were very, very, very happy about uh, after Midwinter, we went to Midwinter and we debuted. Um, I think we did six sessions, and each section session sold out. Uh, we only had four, but we, we we were super thrilled that it wasn't a situation where we we thought it was going to be like, oh, a couple of people we know are going to show up to support us, and every one of the sessions sold out, and we didn't know anybody, uh, and it was great. Uh, but one of the things that we found is we ran the same scenario, the one that's on the actual play that you guys can go and watch. Uh, we ran that scenario through all of those sessions, and what we saw was that. Some people, some players took it very, very dark. Some players were like, we are playing uh, the lighthouse here. We are playing hereditary. We are playing this deep psychological terror. And some people were like, man, this is Cabin in the Woods. We're being real goofy and we're having a great time. Mm. And the game, you know, the mechanics are there to, to, to spur your characters on, to limit what your characters are capable of doing, to provide sort of the impetus for your characters to do certain things. That anxiety, what we call distress, the minute hand on your clock is always there and it's always moving forward. And you're like, oh no, you know, I, I, I'm getting more and more anxious. That's always there. Outside of that, though, I mean, 
it's a game about rolling dice and killing monsters. Um, or getting killed by them, depending upon how you and your storyteller decide you want to play it out. Um, we were very, very happy to see that not everybody plays it as this morose, we're doomed no matter what we do, Cthulhu-esque sort of game. We saw a lot of people playing it really almost like baby superheroes. Um, and I thought that was very, very cool. I think that's another thing that, that we really want to promote is that while while the theme of dark darkness and horror and everything like that is is something that is inherently written into it, uh, it is it is absolutely not mandatory. If you want to play, it's always sunny in the midnight world. Play, it's always sunny in the midnight world. Like it's <laughs> it, it should be the game you want it to be because just to kind of reiterate the the idea that we have this this whole the whole aspect of it being therapeutic and helpful that is something that we are hopeful that it will it will provide for the people who who want and need that but also we want it to just be a fun game that people play at their tables with their friends you know yeah i love that that you all are are okay and and you've created a a universe that's flexible enough to to be played however you want to have fun well, I mean, one of the things that we do, we definitely have a whole sidebar uh, in the storytelling chapter of our book about is that once this game, once this book leaves that that stand or that uh, that that drive through RPG PDF section and, and comes into your possession, it's your game. We wrote it. Uh, but we are not in the business of sitting down and telling you how to run this game. You can run it however you want to, and that's one of the reasons that you know we're we're the Midnight World is not a game that I think would be appropriate for a, a large shared world session. It's just it's 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 it, it won't work that way, and and that's by design. You know we we are not interested in having a, a large. LARP organization based off of our game. We really want to focus on the tables with four or five people who really trust each other. And we want them to be able to play that game however the hell they want to. Um, and I know, everybody knows that the section in every book that says these are just suggestions, you don't have to play this this way, always gets ignored. Um, but we're going to put it in there, and we, we really mean it, man. Once you once you take it and it's at your table, run it however you want to. Literally run your characters as superheroes if you want. It's fine. You know, it's – we know what we kind of wrote here, um, but I'm a firm believer that the, the developers and writers own the intellectual property, but we don't own the – a game that you play at your table, if that makes any sense. It makes lots of sense. I love it. What would you say has been the, the most satisfying part of, de- of this development process so far for you all? Uh, it's really this interview. More than <laughs> You've peaked. <laughs> it's, it's all downhill from here. So, oh, God. Um, so like just, just seeing people get excited about it. And, and I'm not, when I, when I say that, I don't mean like our friends who we have a, a small Facebook group, chat with that that are like oh i'm so excited about the play test or you know oh, that play test was really fun or i'm really you know i'm really looking forward to tweaking these rules and these these uh, these builds for these different characters like we've, we've had a lot of that but when when you start seeing people on the twitter feed and in the facebook 
Facebook group and showing up to sessions at Midwinter that you have never met or seen before that are just as excited about your game. That's like the other day when Matt Mercer replied to me on Twitter saying he was looking forward to trying the game. Like I, I, my heart rate was 302 for like three hours <laughs> after that. You were actually going to die. It's amazing. It's it, it happened like four minutes before class started. Cause I was in, I was, I go to SCAD for game design and uh, I, it was five minutes, four or five minutes before a class started when that happened. I'm going to be honest with you guys. I learned nothing in that class. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell us where people can learn more about your game. Uh, okay. So the number one place where we're most active right now is we have a Facebook group. It's just the midnight world uh, or not group, uh, a Facebook page. And that's going to be the easiest way to see where we're at. Uh, see we do a weekly lore spotlight, um, where we kind of describe, we, we, we hired a phenomenal artist and oh, he's so good. He's so good. Yeah. Yeah. He's awesome. Uh, he's, he's it's also, a, a, one of the things that we failed to mention is that one of the big things that's very important to us about this game is that we wanted to make sure to hire professionals and we wanted to make sure that we paid them. So um, we we did hire mostly friends of ours because we have friends that are artists and editors, etc. Uh, but one of the things that we're very clear about with our artists and editor and whatever friends is we don't accept friends and family discounts. Um, so we're paying the, their full professional rates and uh, I am, I'm coming out of pocket for this and it is... Um, We'll get to that. Uh, but weekly, we have uh, a, a lore spotlight that will spotlight a piece of uh, Lucas Ryan's art and a description of what that means in our world. Uh, and then we have a Twitter, and it's because I don't understand Twitter and I'm a Luddite. It's at the midnight WOR1. <laughs> Because <laughs> apparently there was already a Midnight World, I guess. Uh, <laughs> and we have a web page. If you go to themidnightworld.com, it will redirect. Um, and Jim, uh, Jim and I is the name of our studio because both Jim and I are called Jim. So there you go. Uh, we do have a Kickstarter coming up. March 4th is the day that we're going to launch our Kickstarter. And uh, I will tell you guys that, you know, the game is getting produced whether or not the Kickstarter funds. Uh, it's we, we're we're too far gone for it not to, uh, and it will be available on uh, Drive Through RPG for sure. Uh, it will be available in stores some as we can get those stores available, mostly here locally. When you say stores locally, you mean the Atlanta area, right? Yes. For the, yeah. For the time being, we mean the Atlanta area. Now we'd love to get our books on shelves elsewhere, uh, but that is that is going to take a little bit more doing. It's not we easy. And a company. Yeah. Um. Well, our Kickstarter launches March 4th, uh, and I can tell you that we're not looking to make a million dollars here. We'd like to, sure, uh, but we're, we're trying very hard not to you know, take advantage of folks. We want folks to play our game, but we would love it if people would drop by and kick a few dollars to that Kickstarter when it happens. Uh, and that's it. That's really the best way to get to us. Well, we'll make sure to share the Kickstarter once it launches on on our Facebook groups and stuff as yeah. well. Yeah, so you guys going to kickstart yours? Uh, we are, we are. Um, I don't know exactly when yet. I had hoped it would be this spring, but it looks like it's probably going to be late summer or early fall. So right after. Just the, let us know because we're definitely, yeah, we're we're definitely gonna gonna you know 
do all for you that you've done for us. Well, thank yeah. you. Appreciate it. So we, we love you guys and we're, we're super glad that you were able to, to come on and, yeah. and talk about your game. Uh, I have one Thanks last, for us. I have one last question for you because Carrie had mentioned something from when she had watched the play test. And so I'm curious, uh, is, is your game meant to be, uh, like, uh, you, you would just play for one or two sessions and then kind of start yeah, over? Take this one. Yeah, yeah, take this one because it's really cool. Yeah. Um, okay, so one of the things, one of the other things in our design philosophy was that James and I have run so many tabletop campaigns that have petered out. <laughs> and and I'm pretty sure every role player in existence yes. knows yeah. this issue. So what we've done is we've set the story structure for this game because obviously once you get to midnight once your hour hand gets to midnight that character is done right something and happens but we're not telling people what it is yet correct mm-hmm. um i can tell you that it's not your character becomes so insane you can't get played anymore it is, <laughs> it is much more uh we think terrifying and and much less reductive than that but the, yes. the I, books the book will cover it though right oh yes okay yes. So, oh, yeah, yeah. i have a guess um, i won't say it on air but once we're done recording i'm gonna make a guess Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, but so, and and because there's no way to make your hour hand go back, um, then that effectively puts a time limit on your character. And what we've done because of that is we've separated the story structure that we recommend people use when writing stories and campaigns for this game into almost like a television format. So, if you've watched Supernatural. You've got X number of episodes in a season and then X number of seasons of the series. And the way we we suggest people develop their campaigns and their stories is seasonally, where season one may be eight sessions. And at session one, you create your character. And at session eight, one or more people hit midnight and then those characters are retired. And then you start season two, where you take your overarching meta-narrative and you carry it forward into season two with a new cast. And you make new characters and you carry the story forward. And, and what we're recommending is that you structure your stories and your campaigns and everything as if you were writing the episodes and seasons of a television show. Interesting. So just plan, just plan to have multiple characters before this game's over. Yeah, it's it's one of those. It's it's like it's like old D and D. Only instead of bringing five extra character sheets to session one, <laughs> you just yeah. bring extra character sheets every time in case you might need one. <laughs> we, oh, this is one thing that we we didn't cover. Uh, that we, I'd like to real briefly in our game, uh, storytellers can't just kill your character. So oh, yeah, if, that's important. Uh, there, there, there are three options you have when your character hits zero hit points. One of them is you, you can decide, uh, you know what, this is a good time for my character to die. This is where I just want this character story to end. Uh, but you have other options too. And you can decide, like if, the, if this ST drops the whole table, everybody drops to zero hit points, you can all not die. You can move forward with that character. The only time that we would say in, in our storyline that that's not true is, is on the last episode episode of a season on the last episode of a season we recommend the players be uh open to the idea that their characters could get actually killed in the because we think in a horror game the least scary thing that could happen is you could lose your character that's not scary then you gotta make a new character you don't really jive well with the group 
that you built this character with. We want groups of characters to stay together as much as the players want them to. Um, But one of the things we really like about our game is, so that game that you guys saw the actual play for, that was originally, I think, a nine or ten game long uh, season. You didn't fight that thing at the end until you played the game for for weeks, uh, but I just cut out all the middle to make something that could be easily digestible. We want our game to be, you can do one shots, but you can absolutely, do. we are actually currently in the middle of a play test that I think we're on the fifth or sixth game of. That's great. Okay. All right, so people can find you at themidnightworld.com. So March 4th is when uh, The Midnight World will be on Kickstarter. Uh, thank you guys so much for, for joining us. It was really cool to be able to, to pick your brains about what you're doing because we've we've been excited about it. I know that, uh, as a quick side note, Carrie and I have both talked at length about how great your logo is. Mm, yes. We get that. That is all Lucas. Uh, we get that every literally every time we have sat down with somebody, they have said, your logo is perfect. And I'm like, cool. I wish for a second I could take any credit for that. That's all <laughs> Lucas Ryan. I mean, yeah. I, I, I particularly love the way that, and I got to tell you, Carrie was who pointed this out. So she is the one who picked it up and noticed. But I love the way that M and the W almost forms like a heartbeat line. Yep. yep you know, that, yeah, he did that on purpose. That the feels I'll tell you about really tied. The best decision we have made as a creative team is we are not directing Lucas. <laughs> we're basically saying, hey, here is a vague idea of what we think this thing would look like. And he, you know, early on, he was a little nervous and he was like, look, I, I historically, when I've sort of gone out on my own and sort of gone buck wild, the, the, the client has not liked it. And we we're like, look, we trust you, man. Every single thing this dude has kicked back to us, we have been just blown away just blown away and so like with uh the the most recent lore spotlight the one that i think jason just shared we had written that character entirely differently but he he drew that and we were like oh we were we were actually wrong (laughs) 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 when we saw it we were like oh that's exactly what it is like yeah that's what it always was we just (laughs) didn't know that's great so developers trust your artists amen thank you and and Fucking pay them. Mm. <laughs> I'm not paying my wife. Oh, you are so <laughs> paying me. <laughs> yeah, disagree with you on that one, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're, we are paying her. So, <laughs> but yeah, is there anything else you all would like to add that we didn't talk about before we let you go? Uh, only that we're just as excited about uh, the gun belt, and I can't wait to run a session of it for my kids. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> well, we, I can't wait to run midnight. For Dakota, so I think she'll really like. Yeah, it. I do too. She loves being traumatized. Yeah, oh, <laughs> a little bit. This yeah, is the perfect game for her. No. Well, it's great. Well, thank you guys both again. Uh, TheMidnightWorld.com is where you can find it. They're also on Facebook, uh, and also the the Kickstarter will launch March fourth. Yay! All right, thank Thanks, you. Guys. Yep. Thank you guys. There you go. We're at Game Wrap. That's a whole world of midnight. (laughs) (laughs) Duh. Uh, For folks listening at home, uh, please go to iTunes and leave us a review. Make sure you've subscribed to us. A good review. Yep. (laughs) 
we're also on uh, iTunes and Stitcher and pot, anywhere anywhere that you find all Come of the podcasts. Come find us. Yeah, you can find us there. You can also visit us at honorrollpodcast.com and on Facebook. Uh, we have a Facebook page and a Facebook group. Mm-hmm. Both of them are Honor Roll Podcast. And uh, you can you email know, us. Super cool. We're going to put up links to mm-hmm. the Midnight World on uh, all of those places yes. as well. So you can find them through there if you uh, were not making notes during the show. What? Yeah. I everybody took notes. I don't take notes. Yeah. I do. Do you? Mm-hmm. I saw you drew a little vote for Dracula. I did. Because yeah. you said that and that made me really no, happy. No, I don't no, know no. why. <laughs> I'm just saying Dr- Dracula would not have fucked up Brexit. Yeah. No, he would not have. <laughs> He'd be like, look into my eyes. He would have been like, we're leaving the union. Oh. Ah, ah, ah. <laughs> okay, you're saying that, but remember, it took him how much trouble... To just leave his old castle? <laughs> like, like... It was a huge mess just trying to pack and move. He wrote a whole book about... Moving. Moving. <laughs> you think he could get England out of the UK? Yeah, I mean, Bram, out of the Bram, EU? Bram Stoker is as much about vampires as it is about real estate. I was going to yeah. say tedium. Because <laughs> yeah. I've attempted to read Dracula like three times. I even get the audiobook. <laughs> it's not that bad. I've read it. <sighs> Good times. It reminds me of reading the first book. And this is the thing people hate me about. Oh. It, <laughs> that this is the thing? Uh, I get more hate <laughs> about the, the fact right. that I don't like the Lord of the Rings books. I don't like them either. Yeah, They're awful. And I get no, reamed I, mm. for it. I think that you could turn them into one really good book. If you take out all the parts where they're just sitting around like, hey, I had a bunch of mushrooms yesterday, and then I had a really good poop. Would you like some pipe weed? Everyone else, direct all of your hate to Ryan and Jason. And I feel like you could take that one really good book and turn it into a mostly one all right movie. Oh, I'm going to say I love the movies. Really? I love them. Oh, it's like nine hours I'll never get back in my life. And then it goes on another two. I, I, I disagree with that. I like the movie because they edited out all the parts where they talked about their very specific dinners. Oh, my gosh. The first book is it's like they walk for like four hours. And then the second book, they run for four hours. And then in the third movie, they climb for four hours. And I'm just like... Good Lord, we get it. Why didn't you just ride the freaking giant eagle? We've covered why they couldn't ride the eagles. Oh, my goodness. They could not have ridden the eagles. It's a whole thing. Gosh. I'm so over it. Goodness. Good thing that's not what this podcast was about. We should do a podcast about how the two of us hate Lord of the Rings. Oh, gosh. You guys can do it on your own. Yeah. Whatever. All right. Well, you guys both get one XP to rule them all. (laughs) Uh, All right. Well, join us next week when our topic is uh, Dakota and I built a snowman and three hours later it was completely gone. What the heck? That sounds about right. Until next time, uh, I'm Ryan the Curmudgeon, Carrie's the legend, Jason's the favorite. Remember, the only way to win a role-playing game is is to to have have fun. fun. The only way to win is to have fun with my friends. I'm on a roll again. Tabletop, lock, motion, everything in between. The only way I win is to have fun with my friends. I'm on a roll again. Tabletop, lock, motion, everything.